All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties. Hey guys, and welcome back to Your Brain on Science. You're here with both Sarmeen and Elena today for our final episode of the season. So exciting. Um, we'll be doing a very, very much requested deep dive into all of the microdosing literature so far. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, and welcome back for our final episode of the season. Oh my God, so very exciting. Um, Elena and I decided that today for the last episode for the big hurrah, we would imbibe in spirits and (laughs) knowledge as we discuss microdosing, which, oh my God, you guys could not get enough of asking us about. So (laughs) yes, um, as everybody knows, microdosing is a very hot topic in the psychedelic literature. So we decided to do a, I assure you, thorough read of all of the research that exists so far. We made an Excel sheet and everything. Um, And this is at least up to our knowledge, right? Like, so we do literature searches. It's a skill we're developing. So if we miss anything, definitely let us know and we can Yeah, send us papers. We literally had people send us stuff this week. Um, So we decided to focus specifically on like survey data and clinical trials. This does not include review literature. Um, We'll talk a little bit at the end of some of the review literature and some of the considerations behind microdosing, but um, this is one of the biggest topics in psychedelics, like we both mentioned, and there's a surprising dearth of hard science behind it, and most of the claims people make are purely anecdotal Mm -hmm. um, and are relating to personal experience, uh, which is definitely a powerful thing. I don't want to discount anyone's personal experiences, but... When we're talking about science and applying it to the general population with psychedelic medicine, we need to make sure that we're being true to the facts. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is we'll give you an overview of what exactly microdosing is, because honestly, even now, right, like people will refer to certain paradigms very differently, and there isn't one set definition for a lot of things in the psychedelics field. So we'll describe microdosing as we're talking about it today. Um, We'll talk about some of these anecdotal claims, and a lot of this is going to be like the stories that we know, that we hear from people, Um, and then we'll give you an overview of all the data and what the data actually says. And spoiler alert, if you guys can't tell from the way we're talking about this already, spoiler alert, um, it isn't that promising, so... Yes, Um, and we'll get into more of why that is. So the microdosing paradigm, right? Um, So as most people who are listening are aware, uh, psychedelics like psilocybin or LSD um, can be taken as a macro dose, which would be, you know, your large recreational dose. So for like something like LSD, that's like something from 200 to 300 micrograms for something like psilocybin, that's closer to like maybe like three to five grams would be, I would say a macro dose. Some would say a heroic dose. Um, (laughs) That's up for interpretation for you. Um, And then you kind of have like your general doses um, and then you can go down into like, I heard somebody actually at a conference one time refer to like the macro dose, the micro dose and the mini dose. So like mini being like a lot of these studies only give a mini dose. It's not actually a micro dose. So that's like one of the things that 
um, yeah, that talk, it's talked about in the field, right? So are we actually testing microdoses or are these just like small doses, right? Yeah. That's um, an, now, Elena, that's an interesting point that you bring up. And because you're a behavioral pharmacologist, this is a little bit of an aside, but in a lot of like the rodent literature, people can't come to a consensus about like the doses that you're giving mice and rats or whatever. There's a, always a lot of contention behind, oh, well, this is a macro dose. Like this would be toxic in humans or like, oh, like this is a microdose. There's barely anything there. So I think there's so much contention across like clinical and preclinical research with like doses. Right. And I think that's maybe a consequence of how young the field is and there isn't like a consensus on most things but do you find that to be like the case when you're doing your work yeah i think like a lot of what happens right when we so psychedelics is something very clinical to a lot of people so a lot of uh the preclinical research kind of gets brushed aside or it's less understood right when it comes to things like dose and i mean obviously mice aren't like we can't ask them if they're hallucinating um, we'll have an episode on that this next season. But uh, one of the things is like, well, people always ask, well, how is this dose relating to a dose in humans? And it's like, there's, I can give you the equation if you want to do the math, but I don't want to do the math. <laughs> Sometimes science isn't translational down to a T. And that's fine. Actually, when the um, like medicines are getting approved, you actually have to test. I believe it's like up to like three to five times the physiological dose in humans in rodent models before it gets approved because they want to know where that threshold is of like positive to negative effects. So that's something I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. Something that, you know, that we see a lot doing this stuff every single day. Right. Um, Anyways, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. (laughs) Um, So back to the microdosing specifically. Um, I just wanted to briefly note that uh, the origins of psychedelic microdosing are often attributed to uh, James Fadiman, and he has a book called The Psychedelics Explorer's Guide. Um, Hill actually has been noted to say in a lot of interviews that he refers his interest to microdosing um, to information that he was entrusted regarding uh, Dr. Albert Hoffman, uh, basically the inventor of LSDs, um, experiences with LSD microdosing. Um, but a lot of what Fadiman has said um, in interviews and in his book is there's kind of a general like paradigm for microdosing. So for example, someone would take a sub threshold dose, meaning this is a dose where you shouldn't necessarily feel any noticeable changes in perception or like sensory processing. You might feel um, a little euphoric or like a little bit like airy, I guess, but you shouldn't have any like hallucination. Yeah. Like you're walking on sunshine. basically. Literally. Yeah. Like, cue like the, different, right. Yeah. Cue the track. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this would be like, you know, for two days on and then two days off or three days on one day off. And I think James Fadiman had his own specific like paradigm or protocol for this, um, that a lot of people have adapted and a lot of people use for these studies, but really a lot of people just take it into their own hands and it's a self-administered um, psychedelic like dose that is usually non-hallucinogenic. Yeah. And also that the like the dosing paradigm like day how they how it's done daily that's also very subjective and like up to people right. Some people will do like two days on, two days off. 
three days on, four days off, however that works out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really like when it's adapted into public, right? It's not controlled like it is in a study. So people could be just doing it however they see feet, like see see feet, (laughs) however (laughs) they see fit. Um, Yeah, so like some people could be doing it every day, you know? Yeah. So why would people be doing it every day? What, what exactly does <laughs> microdosing do for people? Um, the claims here are that despite the fact that Elena just mentioned, it would it should be a sub-threshold dose, right? So that would mean that there's no uh, clear changes in your perceptual experience of the world, right? You're not hallucinate, uh, hallucinating, you're not having any sort of alterations in your experience, other than the fact that you might be enhanced in some way, right? And that is not operationally described. But despite the lack of any real changes to your perception, there should be these like smaller cognitive changes happening. These like positive cognitive changes or positive behavioral changes as well, um, such as enhanced focus, enhanced creativity, um, computational capability, people can do like math better or something, right. <laughs> uh, language comprehension and production, so on and so forth. Um, so a lot of people claim that these drugs enhance really all levels of their daily experience without interfering um, in it. So this is something that's very, you know, people look for drugs that will enhance your your productivity and how much you're getting done. And for some people, if you're more creative, if you're more focused, that's obviously going to lead to a naturally increased um, sort of productivity. So I think um, with that in mind, and you know, our capitalist society, don't get me started there. um, But for like the need for something to like enhance um, the way that you are and sort of all of those positive experiences in your life, I think is something that's very attractive to people in our society. Um, so I understand why microdosing is such a big deal, right? And why right. so people are willing to try it and engage with it, even though we don't really have extensive literature, so. Yeah, and I always think it's so interesting, like whenever I, I know we've talked about this before too, but like whenever somebody asks me what I do and I tell them I study psychedelics, they always ask me, oh, like, what do you think of microdosing? Or, like, what do you... <laughs> First like, question. First question. Uh, yeah. And I'm always, like, <laughs> I'm not... We'll wait till the end for my opinion. But so I am I always just say, like, oh, you know, like, where's we need the data. Like, it's not there yet. And a lot then people will launch into their own anecdotal stories to me about, like, how they did microdosing and their live totally improved and like all this great stuff and and I think I'm like oh that's awesome I'm like very happy for you and then I'll be on panels where there's people who are telling large groups of people who don't know about the science behind anything that they started microdosing and they wean themselves off of their psychiatric medication and they're just doing so much better now and I'm like that's great I'm happy for you but maybe don't tell a group of 50 people who don't know anything about this that they should do that but that's my own personal like thing with that um I don't know Zarmin if you've had anyone like tell you about their their microdosing oh my god of course I've had people tell me about their microdosing stories I think 
more so it's when we're like a little bit more deeper into conversation about the work that I do. And people will ask me my thoughts about it first, right? Like I actually usually get the question, what do you think about microdosing? Like, what do you know about it? And of course, um, I think my opinions have become a little bit clear, right? I'll be like, well, there isn't really too much data and whatever, whatever. Um, and people will be like, really? Well, I do it. And it makes me like such a better thinker. Like I'm so cerebral when I microdose. I love that word cerebral. Mm -hmm. They would actually use that with me. And they were like, yeah, I'll be so like, I'm usually so cerebral when I microdose and I'm just like able to engage and connect more. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's amazing. And it really is because for a lot of it does all these things that, you know, I wish that I could experience, right? Like just having this enhanced experience of your everyday life and, and feel like you're doing so much better in everything. I think it's very valuable to people. Um, but people's stories are usually like pretty crazy <laughs> when they tell me that they microdose. And, you know, I will say this, a lot of my friends or people that I know that will tell me these things are people that work in tech. So I think that's just a really funny connection there. Yeah, I, I do. I will say that I do like being a person that my friends can come to and ask me questions. Like I love that. Yeah, because I have like, you know, friends, family, like people who are like, trying to understand it, trying to figure out like what's going on. And like, I'm glad that I can tell them the truth. Right. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. But that all being said, why don't we get into the literature, Sarnine? Yeah, okay, so let's get into the literature. Um, so Elena mentioned that we looked through a ton of studies. You know, we tried to be as comprehensive as we could. We had this amazing Excel sheet. Elena had this amazing Excel sheet. That's me, um, type A personality. Yeah, so <laughs> not me. I literally, I could not. Um, we synthesized about, I think, 11 studies, right, Elena? 11, 12-ish. Um, yeah, I have some that weren't in the Excel sheet, too, that if we have time, we can go over for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as we mentioned before, the results were a little bit underwhelming. So the major findings of about five out of 11 of these papers um, found that in blinded studies, so in studies where the participants didn't know what drug group they were assigned to, so in studies where they're looking at microdosing, um, there's usually a placebo group and then whatever the microdosing group is, so be that psilocybin or LSD. Um, if you're blinded, neither the control group nor the drug group are going to know what drug that they're getting. So in these blinded studies, participants uh, reported lower scores and anxiety and depression ratings, um, but only when they were unblinded. So there were significant differences between the psychedelic and the control group but only when the psychedelic group knew that they were getting psychedelics, the control group knew that they were getting the control drug. Um, so what does yeah. that sound like to you guys based on a previous episode of Elena's? The placebo effect. The placeboing. It's totally the placebo effect. So in these studies, we're seeing significant differences, right? People are reporting um, changes in their subjective experience. They feel... Um, like they're in a better mood, their affect is much improved after having um, been part of the microdosing group, um, but only after they found out that they were in the psychedelic group. So this is a huge placebo effect. And this is something that we see very often, I think, in psychedelic trials. And that's why thinking of a proper control is so very important. And this is such an active conversation in the field. Um, even in our work, right? Like we work in mice, so it's a little bit easier, right? The mice don't 
need to be blinded or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but when, when we're reading about um, sort of the clinical trials and, and all of the clinical work, the use of a control becomes critical. And it's really hard to do that when you have something like a psychedelic, which is really hard to blind against, right? So. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I think we definitely need to have an episode next season talking strictly about how it's so hard to find a proper control in psychedelic research. But I think I have the perfect guest in mind. So you got to tune in next Ooh, season. Exciting. exciting. <laughs> but like, yeah, so like Simon was saying, um, and I'll highlight just a few studies here real quick. Like mm -hmm. there's one paper that came out last year. Psilocybin microdosing does not affect emotion related symptoms in processing. This was a field and lab based study, clinical study, um, double blind placebo controlled crossover and healthy participants with um, psilocybin mushrooms. They were looking at a couple different surveys. They found that there wasn't really much to report, right? And they they note in their paper that um, the, the placebo first block order group, so these are people um, who like got a placebo and like psilocybin, and they had a first block and a second block. And there was, like, a huge unblinding in the, like, groups. Yeah. So um, a huge amount of participants unblinded themselves by the end of the second block where they had we either gotten it out, right? It's, like, yeah. very easy to unblind yourself in a psychedelic trial. Right. And by that second block, like, they've gotten both. So, like, they're like, oh well, okay, <laughs> like, I figured it out. It's not yeah. very hard. Yeah. Um, and so that's just, like, a huge issue. And I think as long as these papers are reporting this, that's fine. But I think it's when these papers get picked up by mainstream news media Ugh. that inflate the results. That's where, like, the confusion comes in. Because a lot of these studies are honestly reporting. That's not the issue. Yeah. So. Oh Another God, such What a great sentence that you just said. Because all of these studies that we're looking at, right, are – very well done They're They have their controls They're You know, the statistics look good, but it's just, you know, the nature of the beast. It's really hard to study something like microdosing and these studies, these authors are accurately reporting exactly what they did and the results that we got. So it makes sense to us because we're able to sort of follow that train of thought, right? Why are we seeing these significant differences? Well, they say here that the groups unblinded themselves. That makes sense. Um, but that's not like Elena just said, that's not how it's reported in the media, right? It's like, it's, oh my God, we saw these crazy significant differences it's, and microdosing is amazing. And here's why everyone should be microdosing right now, right? Like here's why these moms need to be microdosing. Like I just saw an article title that said something like that. And it cracked me up. Oh my God. Moms who microdose. Moms who microdose. Yes. Like go you guys. But like, it's, it's so funny to me because it's just such like a not an accurate representation of the results and the of the data and it just highlights the need for context right for background exactly. for us it's easy to think about like oh like obviously like the participants are going to unblind themselves but it's not very obvious for other people so i think that's a very important caveat that you just brought in right these papers are sound they're reporting everything but the problem comes in with um media and social media and and these like articles and what what Great. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, every clinical trial we've highlighted. So there's another one. Microdosing with psilocybin mushrooms, double blind placebo control from 2022. They also report 75% unblinding. Um, but they're, they had really great, um, like, methodology and clear mm -hmm. hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So that was a really great paper. And they reported the 75% unblinding. 
Um, yeah. And like, there's some other like really great studies looking at that as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the literature is growing. And the only thing that we can do here is grow with what's coming out and improve upon what's coming out. Um, and I think, you know, I think we'll get there. I, I, I really do think that we'll have such a rich body of literature for microdosing very soon, just because of the sheer amount of, you know, interest in it, I think. And I think it's really interesting you say that, right? Because we are like, oh, the field's only growing. But I actually did a quick search before we did this episode on clinicaltrials.gov, our favorite. Um, and basically, I looked up the keywords microdosing, comma, psychedelics, right? There's only four studies. One's completed, which we actually have in our You have four studies. active studies right now? So there's three not yet recruiting, and then mm-hmm. there's one completed. Wow. And okay. I even tried to look up, like, LSD, psilocybin, DMT. Like, I looked up, like, tried to, like, be more specific um but yeah so yeah there's really actually not a lot of literature out there and I think that's what people don't realize yeah for sure right like it's because this is this is perhaps the more popularized phenomenon like having to do with psychedelics um I think like so many people microdose so many young people know about what microdosing is so I think the interest here is great but maybe the science is now trying to catch up with all of that um and you know I bet that there's a lot of pre preclinical stuff too, because I know you mentioned earlier that Lindsay, who we had on the podcast last week, had done um, some preclinical work with microdosing. So I do, I I agree with you. I think the body of literature is only going to grow from here, right? She was one of the only people to ever look at microdosing in um, preclinical studies. And our lab was actually working on something, but we had to focus our resources elsewhere for the time being um but yeah so like any psychedelic researchers out there do your preclinical microdose studies like we need them it's a wide open area yeah it really is and like i think we noted like a lot of the studies that we have right now um are survey studies and Um, and i i want to get into this zarmine with you is like how reliable is a is a sur- a survey study in like in microdosing? Yeah. So again, I'm gonna bring up this whole the placebo effect and just like the in- immense effect that like your expectation of what a situation is gonna be is gonna have on your subjective experience and your subjective experience of your own emotions, your own physiology, your own cognition, whatever it may be. So well, that's I like think, the set part, right? And set and setting is your mind. And uh, so a hundred percent, right? We have this expectancy bias, even with things that aren't psychedelics. Like we have expectancy bias when we wake up in the morning and say like, you know, you find a penny on the ground, then you expect your day to be good. Yeah, exactly. And you know, affirmations, why do people say affirmations? Like you look and people, the saying, my favorite saying is you say something uh, or you do something and you'll believe it. Like if you say you'll believe it like it till you make it it. like it really is you know like an expectation what you're putting out there or what you are open to receiving or whatever it may be yeah yeah and we and there's so much survey data I think that is right now what is overwhelming the psychedelics is is survey data and a lot of this has been done by a specific group I'm not going to name names we all know how I feel so (laughs) a lot like and I think I wrote to in in our little sheets here the main findings from at least four of these studies, I think, um, is microdosers who report microdosing 
think microdosing works. Yeah. So a lot of these people who are doing these surveys have already had psychedelic use. They've already have a microdosing regimen. They're doing it on their own. It's not in controlled environments. It's like, and like, of course, if they think it works, it works. Like, also, I want to bring up, if you are microdosing, there's a level of commitment to this, right? Because there's a schedule and you're not just microdosing for one week out of the year. This is a schedule, like days on and the rest of the week off, three days on, rest of the week off. And this is and like a very regimented thing. So you have to have some level of commitment to this process. So having commitment to some process, right, and, and sticking with it is going to make you want to believe certain things about that as well. And that's sort of like a confirmation bias or maybe not the right word, but you want something to be true. So you're going to, you know, not appreciate or, or look at their perspective as much and we're all guilty of this right and this is not just limited to clinical trials and drug dosing and whatever it may be um i think it's just a very human thing so with microdosing that's i don't know i think that might also be playing a really big it's it's a what is this it's it's kind of Mm -hmm. self-selection sense right because if, if individuals are sticking with this then they obviously believe it's doing something good for them or they believe that it will do something good for them and again expectancy and some level of this is what I'm expecting to come out of this and and it's probably going to be a positive thing right so yeah there was one survey study I can appreciate it was called positive expectations predict improved mental health Mm -hmm. outcomes linked to psychedelic microdosing I mean it's right there in the title right positive expectations most accurate title I've ever heard improved mental health outcomes and I thought that I the thing with that one is there was no placebo controlled. It was a survey uh, study, but they attempted to um, exclude participants for already partaking in microdosing um, regimens before the study. So that was something that I thought was like honest and like good about this study. They also looked at various psychiatric disorders. They looked at things like ADHD um, and like Uh, autism spectrum disorders they did like a million different surveys not just one and some of them um you know was like suggestibility scales it was um depressive symptomology scales 10 item personality inventories like um, mental well-being scale like it was a lot and I, Mm -hmm. i appreciate them using a lot of different scales to get at this like is this a positive expectancy thing is this a you know, they can't say if it was a microdosing or not because they didn't have a placebo group. But I thought it was just really interesting, um, like the analysis that they did. And they did have a decent, um, like, and they had a lot of people. So I just thought that was really cool. Um, And, you know, it kind of goes along with the microdosing, like works from microdosers, but at least they like tried. (laughs) Yeah. And okay, you know what? So we've been sitting here more or less like shitting on the on microdosing. But we're really the thing is, is that something like microdosing, it works for people. And it's not the microdosing itself, but it's it's this like expectation or whatever it is that you think this experience is going to bring you. But that in itself is so very powerful, I think, right? And it's not something to to discount. And I think less of a question of what are these drugs doing and whatever i think it's it's really important for us to harness that and and understand that a little bit more um but the question that arises for me here elena is so okay so 
maybe these subjective effects are, you know, completely having to do with some sort of placebo effect, some expectation bias, right? Because we see that they disappear when participants don't know, and they only, these significant differences show up when participants are, like, know what they're getting, right? Um, are there any physiological changes that might, you know, provide some evidence for, well, actually, microdosing is doing something to you? Well, Zarmine, I have a study for you. Ooh, share, girl. <laughs> um, so based on my findings, there's a, literally one study that looks at specifically microdosing. Um, and this is like, love pharmacology, like gotta love it, you know, um, pharmacokinetics, it's titled pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of lysergic acid diethylamide microdoses and healthy participants. And mm-hmm. it's from 2020. Nice. Had to dig for it after all the surveys and the reviews is on like page four of PubMed. <laughs> um, but it's a double blind randomized placebo controlled crossover. And the LSD doses were five, 10 and 20 micrograms. So you five, know, 10 and 20. So a 10th to lower of, okay. you know, um, granted there's only 24 subjects, but Hey, this is all we got. Yeah. Um, and so this is really cool. They did the VAS, the VAS uh, survey, and they correlated it with PK blood draws of mm. the different doses of LSD. And what they basically is the blood draw going to tell us. Um, it'll basically tell you the amount of the drug in the system. You can kind of get the peak effect from that because um, they do it at. They can find the elimination half life of the LSD, um, and they can do a correlation with the subjective effects rated by the VOS. And, and I think they at, like the highest availability in your system, right? And then yeah, okay. Yep. So they did it at a half hour, an hour, hour and a half, two, three, four, and six hours after LSD. And then they immediately did blood samples after the scale um, to provide matched measures of LSD concentrations and effects for these like pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic modeling. Mm-hmm. And um, they did repeated measures in NOVA of variance. And mm-hmm. they did within subjects factors, four levels, followed by Tukey Postdoc. I know you love statistics. um so yeah it was actually a really great study i think this is by um dr litchie i'm bad at pronouncing names so i'll apologize um also sorry for all of the listeners we are going to have all of these studies that we're talking about linked in the blog posts so if you haven't figured that out by by now (laughs) yeah we will we'll give them go ahead and open that up and that's all of the studies that we're talking about right now are on there So Elena um, might be butchering this author's name, but you'll be able to read it for yourself. And it's it's not out of disrespect. It's I really just am so <laughs> bad at pronouncing things. Like even everyday words, like I can't. It's okay. It's totally <laughs> something you would love to hear what people mispronounce my name as. It's so fun sometimes to just like let people figure it out. And I think I have a pretty phonetic name. I have to say, I literally same. I don't. We can get into that at a later time. Um, but okay, this amazing study. Anyways, so this study, super cool. They found LSD concentrations increased proportionally with doses, obviously. That's what we'd expect. Um, first order kinetic elimination, the half-lives um, were pretty similar, actually, for each microdose, the 5 through 20 microgram doses. Mm-hmm. Um, they found that the 5 microgram dose of LC produced no significant acute subjective effects with placebo. The 10 microgram dose um, increase the ratings of under the influence or good drug effect. 
-hmm. And the 20 microgram dose uh, significantly increased the under the influence, good drug effect and bad drug effects. So this is the point where people were starting to have like a bad. Yeah. And isn't that super interesting? Yeah. And then they use the under the influence ratings just generally to figure out kind of like the peak effect. And if you open this paper, there's some really nice um, graphs where they have individuals and they have like the standard error, the mean and like the mean um, responses. And I think like the main takeaway I got from this study was that the variance starts coming in the individual responses as the dose gets higher. So for like the five and 10 micrograms, the doses, um, like we're producing like pretty similar subjective effects, similar um, like PK effects. But once you got up to 20, um, it was really interesting. Things started to get a little wonky. So I just thought that was really cool. And uh, I mean, at LC, at these doses were pretty well tolerated with like no re- little to no reporting the bad drug effects at these doses. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. there is, I, so there's clearly some PK work, right? And that is, I think, very, very important to have. Um, so there you go. So that might provide some of that physiological data, you know, that alternate argument that I was talking about earlier. Well, we, this is one study, right? We need more of this. Exactly. And that's only with LSD. So we need like amp it up. <laughs> so Zarmeen, should we talk about the pre-publication that just came out? Yes. Let's please get into it, Melina. Okay. So Mind Biotherapeutics is an Australian biotech company interested in microdosing. And they just came out with a pre-publication um, and some data about their phase one trial. Just a quick disclaimer here in the upcoming section as we discuss a pre-published document from MindBio. In the discussion, we use the word dishonest to describe some of the way that the data is represented in the memo. But after talking with MindBio and hearing their concerns, we admit that dishonest is not an accurate descriptor. While our concerns about the representation of the data still stand, a more accurate way to discuss this would be to say that the pre-published as-is could be possibly misleading without the full context of the data and the results of the study. So just keep that in mind as you listen. Thanks. When you look at their little thing that they sent out to everybody like before publication, they have all, like about like a little spread of like 12 graphs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they have all these ones circled like about enhanced feelness, feelings of wellness, creativity, connected, energy, energy, connectedness, creativeness, yeah. and energy, happiness, jittery, wellness. Most of those are significantly different. They have their p-value on there. They're all circled. Not reported in the blurb, not circled, but has a significant stat is irritability and the irritability significance increased post one but it's not circled and they say dose day is so the day they got their microdoses and participants feel happier and more socially connected angry and irritable yeah holy shit yeah and then yeah but they and they say you know like oh my gosh we have such good results these are all increased but if you look <laughs> at the ones also that they have circled, it's all back to baseline, typically by post one in all the Stop. positive. But if you look at irritability and anger, it's significantly increased in post one and still there at post two. And also stressed looks, stressed ends higher at post two than saline. Yeah. So they're more stressed, even though it's not a significant difference. It's they're higher than baseline. And so this is the this is an example, right, of like 
how you know we said earlier like there's a lot of really good studies that are irresponsible like, reporting. they're honestly reporting some of their stuff but then you have stuff like this that is not honestly reporting but has oh my god really, <laughs> like like okay so my thing with this is right mind bio is the company heard them talk at a conference like really great talk they have a phase one clinical trial that just came out um it's not officially published their protocols officially published but not mm-hmm. their results so you can sign up to like get their results and like be a part of this which is super cool um and so this is a random double blinded placebo controlled trial with lsd they're protocol super sound to me like you know they give 14 doses of placebo or 10 micrograms lsd you know cool um lots of participants except for they're just white males but um yeah so my thing with this is like we mentioned earlier a lot of studies have really good like sound science and they report their unblinding and like some of their negative reporting right like everything that could have happened and the statistics accurately yes so what about this what about this study sorry man uh so i'm just going to tell you about the parts that we see so we are presented how many of these four eight twelve so we have 12 graphs um, and these are, Elena mentioned earlier, VAST scores. So individuals were uh, told to give VAST ratings for dose days. And this is going to tell you something about their subjective experience. And we'll learn something about how angry they feel, how anxious they feel, how calm they feel, how connected they feel. So, well, we're presented with 12 graphs here. Um, and we have one, two, three, four, five, six. Six of them are circled, right? And these are the graphs that have significant results meaning that individuals that took the drug LSD were significantly increased in connectedness, energy, creativeness, happiness. What is this? Uh, They were a little bit jittery um, and they felt well. But what they don't circle is that there's also two other significant results on this little spread that we have here of graphs. And that is a significant increase in the irritability score and a significant increase in the participant's angry score. And also we don't have a significant difference for stress, but um, the, the, the drug group ends up higher at baseline than the placebo group and higher at then baseline period. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, at the post two day. So uh, I'm, this is like, just like a, what is going on moment? Like why? This is there? dishonest reporting. <laughs> What well, like I'm like this is this is exactly what we were talking about that leads to um those very inaccurate headlines right because what are, this was a great study this is a great study and these results are very valid even with these results of feeling more angry more irritable more stressed right because these are psychedelics are things that can induce experiences bidirectionally in a positive way and a negative way. But to, like, include these and circle all the good things, it's just, like, well, it's a miracle. Like, what is going on? Well, they're a biotech company, so they want money. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's whatever. the science needs to get a little bit, not better. Maybe we just need more. I think we need way more <laughs> of all of this data on microdosing because there might be something here. And even if there's not, right, microdosing is so beneficial for some people and that's a good thing and it you know it makes me happy when people are like oh my god like this is something that's been so life-changing for me and so amazing and that's awesome right and maybe it doesn't matter that these drugs are not actually doing anything and this is just like the sickest placebo effect that we've ever seen but it really does work for some people and I think that warrants 
all the time and the effort that people are putting into it right now. So I think yeah. takeaway here is we need more. And I think people are doing that right now. Yeah. And I think something that I really, really liked from Dr. Cameron, who we had last week in her paper asking questions of psychedelic microdosing is that I think like she proposes this like figure where it's has a microdose group, a placebo group and a half and half group. So a group that like, you know, each group gets two doses, one's a full, like two microdoses, one's a placebo group and one gets a microdose situation and like a non-microdose situation so like mix and I think like that would be really cool to see you know what does the mixed group have to say right because we've only looked at you know nothing all or nothing you know so what if it's not all or nothing and what if we need to approach how we're looking at psychedelics from a new way to like because it's so hard to blind with psychedelics because it's a full-blown experience even a microdose like you know even yeah right which which says something right but I don't know I think very interesting. Yeah. And there's so many reviews and so many papers out there. And like, seriously, contact us at all if you want a full PDF to anything that we can get you. Like, we are like full disclosure, like about accessibility. So like, (laughs) literally let us know. Yep. It's kind of in our byline. So (laughs) yes. All right. So we know that was a lot for you guys. And I kind of went off for a minute. So (laughs) please don't hate me after this. But I mean, you guys already knew I was opinionated on Twitter. (laughs) um, So with that, I would just like to say I'm so grateful for all of our listeners so far this season. And it has been literally such an honor to like be able to like, do this and have a voice and bring our perspective to the field. Um, and we hope to continue to do this. Like, I'm so excited to bring into some policy stuff, uh, next season and yeah. Uh, let us know your thoughts and, uh, Zarmin, you got anything left to say? Yeah, I do. So thank you guys so much for sticking with us and for everyone that joined us throughout this season. Um, this was such a joy for Elena and us to do like such a nice distraction from the work that we do every day, but a very passionate sort of endeavor. And I love hearing back from you guys. And um, I'm so glad that you just sit here and listen to us speaking. I think it's like the funniest thing. Also, I do just want to say, so after my last episode, I forget the plasticity, the plasticity episode one, I made a joke in the beginning about quicksand. And I had so many people reach out to me and ask me if I was okay. I'm okay. I just am not as funny as I think that I am. So excuse that. And just maybe if you hear stuff like that, maybe laugh at it. But anyway, we have some dark humor here on the podcast. I know, like, totally. <laughs> we are in grad school after all. Um, but thank you guys so much. We are so appreciative um, and very, very excited to grow with you um, and evolve. And we have so much exciting stuff for season two. You have no idea what's coming. Woo! Um, so thank you for sticking with us, guys. We wish you a happy holidays and a very cozy winter. Um, and we'll see you in January. Stay tuned, guys. Bye.